just to kind of continue um, in my personal testimony a little bit, if you would have told me that you know five or six years ago that I'd be standing in a church um, giving a Sunday morning message, I would have called you absolutely crazy. Um, the fact is, is that years ago I was a slave to my job, and I let a lot of. Uh, <clears throat> I was in a constant state, I would say, of uh, being anxious and worried and just trying to make everything right. <laughs> And um, in that time was when we found these Monday night groups and um, ended up getting coming to Christ. And since that time, it was I would have to say that was the best decision that I've ever made in my life. And since that time, um, as wonderful as it is accepting Christ, there are, we go through periods. It's been five, five or five and a half years now where we go through ups and downs. And, you know, this is been a couple times since I've given the messages in here this morning, and sometimes I'm preparing the message or even standing up here, and I look at some of the things that I've been preaching about, and I think, man, I'm not doing these things. There's been times where I haven't done these things myself. How can I go tell other people to do this? You know what I'm saying? And you get this little bit of feeling of guilt. And all I can say is that God is not about the guilt. He's, he, what he will do instead of giving us guilt is give us conviction. And while I'm telling you, and my wife will tell you, to anybody that works with me, I am far from perfect. And I can tell you that some of the things that I've preached about in the past and some of the things that I'll be talking about this morning, I struggle with myself. And um, all I can say is thank God that um, he, led me, he, he let me accept him and gave me a relationship because I have been able to find peace and joy through some of these uh, ups and through these downs. And um, I think the fellowship that we have in this church over the last few years has been awesome. And I'm very appreciative of everything that uh, Sean has done and that the Lord has done and that everybody in here has done because we said it before, there's some serious momentum in this little chapel. And I can't tell you what the future is going to hold, none of us can, but I can promise you that as long as God is in it, it's going to be good. And the title of this morning's message is What If? And I'll get into that here in a little bit. But the first thing we're going to start talking about are the fruits of the Spirit. So if you could, if you got your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open them up. We're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 7. We'll begin reading in verse 15. This is Christ talking where He says, Beware of false prophets which come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly there is ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Jump down to verse 20 where he says, Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. First of all, he's warning us against false prophets, false teachers, more or less empty words. Um, but the verse I want to highlight is verse 20. He says the same thing twice in this passage. He says, Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. The fact is, is that everyone bears fruit. Christ is saying, watch out and stay clear of the bad fruit. We don't want any part of that. It's not always blatantly obvious that it's bad fruit either. He says right there in verse 15, which come to you in sheep's clothing. So it come to you in good appearances, but inwardly there is raving wolves. But on the contrary, I don't really want to focus on false teachers this morning. What I want to focus on is what he says in verse 24. He says, do so, therefore, whosoever... Verse 24, 
heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which buildeth his house upon a rock. The point of reading this first passage is that God makes it very clear through Scripture that He wants us to bear good fruit. You look all the way back. If you look at an index of fruit in uh, back of my Bible anyways, it probably lists fruit, I need to count it, two dozen times, all through the New Testament and the Old Testament. And uh, you can look at uh, where God is talking to Noah right after the flood. But what is one of the first things He says to Noah and his sons? He says, multiply and, and replenish the earth. Uh, I'm sorry, I skipped it. The first thing he says is be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Now, he meant that literally. I mean, they were some of the only people on earth at the time, right? They had to multiply, otherwise mankind was going extinct. But I think you could also take that figuratively or spiritually and that he said, listen, the earth was terrible. I wiped it all out and we've got a chance to start fresh. Bear the good fruit that I have to offer and replenish the earth with. Now, you can pretty much figure out what this fruit is just through the context of reading these uh, passages, but I think it's worth looking at what Paul says about it in Galatians. Flip there real quick. It's chapter 5 and verse 22 of Galatians where he gets very specific about the fruits that we're talking about. He's more or less... The fruit that Paul is talking about are more or less the the good qualities, the wonderful qualities that come out in somebody who has found a true relationship with Christ. Right? So they include love, joy, and peace, long-suffering, there's nine of them, being able to suffer a long time is what that, that one means, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. It's a good verse to highlight. Now we've all been taught that Christianity is not just about our works. It's not just about being nice, right? So why is it that God is so concerned with our fruits, right? Aren't these just, couldn't they be just perceived as our works? I think there's a couple reasons. John chapter 15, verse 8, Christ speaking here, says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so you shall be my disciples. So first of all, when we bear good fruit, when we're in these fruits of the Spirit that Paul is talking about, it glorifies God. But I think secondly, our good fruit is a strong testimony, maybe even stronger than our words. I mean, it's easy to come out here and say, I've accepted Christ, this is awesome, but what people are going to see are the, what are the benefits? Uh, Maybe that's not the best word selection there, but they're going to be saying, they're going to see people and, and, and maybe they're going through something tough and they're saying, how are they dealing with that? How on earth are they dealing with that feel such calmness? Did you see what that guy just did? Man, why didn't he just go rip his head off? You know, it, What does he have? I think that's why Christ is so um, interested in our fruits. Now, if I haven't already made the point clear, this message this morning is not about becoming perfect. Becoming perfect is not going to fill the void in our hearts. And being perfect is not going to impress Christ, or is it going to draw us close to Him? But what I am saying, but more importantly, what Scripture is saying this morning, is that God is interested in our ability to produce good fruit. And this good fruit 
is going to come by being purposeful and intentional in our growth in Christ. I think that this is where it gets easy for us to get stuck. I think it's easy to call on Christ in a time of need, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, because we absolutely should. That's what He's there for, and that's what He wants us to do. But the fact is, is sometimes we get comfortable. And we get used to the things that we have, our homes and our cars or whatever. And we just don't call out to Him in those times of comfort in the same way we do or in the middle of some crisis or some horrible dilemma. I think that the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, were the perfect example of this. Flip back to 1 Samuel chapter 7. To get you into context here, Samuel was the prophet and he was the judge of Israel at the time. And Scripture says that Samuel found favor both in the sight of man and in the sight of God. So the Israelites liked Samuel. Okay, He was a well-respected man. And God liked Samuel. And he used Samuel all the way from the time he was born to the time he died. Samuel truly did have a heart for God. Now the nation of Israel, who as we all know, God said uh, back in Genesis, I'm going to bless this nation, this is my nation, for all, all generations to come. Now you would think that if you're in a nation that God said, hey, you've got my blessing, you're going to be on easy street. Right? Well, that's absolutely not the case with Israel. That's a nation that's probably seen more ups and downs than any other nation through history from the beginning of time. It seems like if they weren't already in captivity, they were on the brink of it. But every single time that Israel would find themselves on the brink of annihilation or captivity or some horrible situation, they would hit their knees and they would go to God to deliver them from that evil. And you know what? You read through all these stories of these trials and tribulations they went through, and God delivered them every single time. Let's look at chapter 7. We'll begin reading in verse 3. They got the Philistines banging out their door. So, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, and put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So what God is saying, if you're scared, put away all this other stuff that you're worshiping right now, get your hearts right, and point them towards God, and He will deliver you. And when you read down through those next few verses through there, that's exactly what the children of Israel did. They got their hearts right, they repented, and God delivered them. In the middle of verse 10, uh, we'll start reading the beginning of verse, verse 10. We're still in chapter 7 here. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. So there you have it. This was one of many times where Israel was in trouble. They didn't know what to turn to other than turn to God, and they did it, and God delivered them. But some time had passed, and Samuel was getting up in age, and his two sons were starting to take over. His sons, as you'll read through verse 2 and 3 here, did not have the same heart for God that Samuel did. Now, Israel was not on the brink of total annihilation or devastation, but 
they had a problem, right? They had these two leaders that they didn't like. So what was their answer? You go down to verse 5, and they said unto him, they're talking to Samuel, unhappy. They said, Behold, thou art old. You're getting old, Samuel. <laughs> and your sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Where was the mistake here that Israel was making? They had called on God in all these times when they were getting devastated in the past to get them out of their situation. But who did they go to this time? They're turning towards man. And I tell you what, when I was reading through this, getting ready for this morning, and I'm not going to stand here and get political, but I couldn't help but think of the United States and the parallel between the United States and the nation of Israel. I mean, think about it. Over 200 years ago, we, with God's help, got us out of tyranny, right? And the, and the individuals he used to help us get us out of that predicament, like you know, fighting the Revolutionary War, founded a country based on God's principles, and they were thankful for it. And ever since that happened, the United States has become not only one of the most powerful, but one of the most comfortable nations in this entire world. And make no mistake about it, I've seen, I love the United States. Now, there is so much to be grateful for. But the fact of the matter is, as a nation, we have gotten so used to the blessings that I think sometimes we forget where they came from. And now we've got ISIS banging at our door. And we've got all these other problems that you'll see in about 10 minutes within turning on the news of all these immediate threats. And who is it that's going to deliver us from these problems we've got? Hillary or Trump? <laughs> I told you I wasn't going to get political. <laughs> that brings us to verse 6. <laughs> but the thing that displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, So Sandus hurt Samuel. I don't know if it hurt Samuel because it was a shot that his... I, let me just continue in 7 here. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. So he's saying, they want a king, give them a king. And they'll understand why they turn to me next time. But they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Faith is a major fruit of the Spirit. And this is not the fruit that God was looking for. We were... The Israelites, no different than the United States today, are not exercising a lot of faith when we put our answers in the hands of a politician or even an individual for that matter. It's not to say that there's not some incredible individuals that God will use. But we just got to remember where the our source of power is coming from. Paul tells us, you don't have to turn here, but Paul tells us in Timothy that, and I'm paraphrasing, that the husband then must labor before partaking of the fruit. In other words, there is not going to be a whole lot of fruit to bear if we don't spend the time and the effort growing. Christ tells the same thing all throughout his parables in the Gospels. Sowing and reaping, right? He's saying you got, you're going to reap what you sow. If you don't spend much time reaping, there's not going to be a whole lot of growth and there's not going to be anything at all to reap in the coming days or months or years in our lives. 
the fact of the matter is that salvation is free, and I'll say this again, but strong, a strong relationship with Christ, or anyone down here for that matter, is going to require us to be purposeful and intentional in our growth. That's easier to say than done, right? Just all we got to do is grow. I think, as we all know, as like when we grow physically, like when we're kids and our joints hurt, there's going to be some pain that we know is coming at some point with some of that growth. But Paul encourages us. He says, Thou therefore endure hardness. As a good soldier in Jesus Christ, what he's telling us is to stick it out. We may not know why we're going through this pain right now, but God does. And if we've got the faith to just bear down and deal with it, there is hope. And He does promise us that it will be worth it in the end. I believe that uh, God uses all sorts of means and methods to help us grow. Um, I think, in my mind, there's two big things that it boils down to. I think that there's times where He will blindside us with a circumstance that we never, ever, ever could have seen coming. And we've got the choice to either grow or lay there. Joseph was a good example of that. He wasn't planning on being sold into slavery by his brothers, but he was. And I'm not going to go deep into this story, but he had a choice to grow or basically die. And Joseph decided to exercise that faith that he had for God. Now, I think the impressive thing with Joseph wasn't so much the fact that after exercising that, putting his faith in God and doing the best with what he had at the time and not laying there as a victim for all those years was that the oppressive part was not that he rose to be, what, the second highest in command in all of Egypt from being a slave, but the fact is when he reconnected with the, those very family members that put him in all that pain and misery to begin with, he forgave well, that would be a pretty hard thing for many of us to do if we're all you know, honest with each other. Now, I think um, that's, I said all that to basically lay out an example of that's, we don't have a choice sometimes. God will just lay a situation in our lap and it's like we said, what was hard to say? He said move or, what was hardest to say? Yeah, move or die, staying in place. I think it's the hardest said. But, <clears throat> Sometimes we do have a choice. Sometimes God will lay an opportunity out in front of us. And maybe we're the only ones that know about it. It's just kind of between us and God. And you're sitting there thinking about it like, man, I know I should probably jump on this. But what if this doesn't work out? What if I fail? What if my friends or family find out about this? What are they going to say? And, you know, all these doubts get into our minds. So we got a choice to make. I'll tell you what, or, or the, the other choice, okay, if we go forward, we know there's going to be some pain, or we can stay there, nice and comfortable, right? Say, so I'm sure there'll be another opportunity to do this down the road. I'll just deal with it then. For right now, I'm happy right where I'm sitting. And I can tell everybody in here from firsthand experience, that these decisions to move forward when we don't necessarily have to are brutal. <laughs> that what if, for me personally anyways, is often the first thing that pops into my mind when faced with one of these opportunities.
what if is really it's the title of this morning's message and it's the core of this morning's message. And it's really to help us be aware that God is laying opportunities in front of us all the time. But how is it? What does Scripture say? What does God say about dealing with those fears and their anxieties when making those decisions? How do we get past that and take that intentional step and say, you know what, I'm going to throw myself out there. Let's do it. How do we get past that initial fear? If you've ever passed up on an opportunity, as I'm sure all of us have at some time, um, there may or may not be some guilt and regret that comes with it. And I would say that if anybody in here has ever experienced that guilt or that regret, look at the life of Peter. In fact, we're going to turn there. Go to John. Make sure I get this right here. 18. So to get this into context, uh, Christ had just been betrayed and he had just been arrested. And he was being brought before the high priest. Peter was with him. We'll begin reading in verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her to keep that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Are not also one of this man's disciples? I'm going to stop right there. That was an opportunity for Peter to stand up for Christ. And you would think that being a disciple or an apostle of Christ, that it would require somebody that doesn't make mistakes, somebody that's fearless, I can only imagine the what-ifs that were running through Peter's mind. It was, what if they kill me? What if I go to jail with him? And he say it to him, I am not. Peter denied Christ not once or twice, but three times before Christ was eventually brought before Pilate and then sent to the cross. Now, Scripture says that Peter beat himself up pretty bad after that. <laughs> I know if I were Peter, it probably would have felt like the end of the world. Completely hopeless. How could I have done that? Completely guilt-stricken. But thank God for Peter, and thank God for us that that was not the end. In fact, you could simply say that was that was the beginning. And <laughs> Christ not only came back from the dead, but Christ went back to Peter. And what do you think Christ said to Peter when he found him? Peter, how could you do this to me? Peter, you should have been on that cross next to me. Maybe they wouldn't have put me through all that pain if you had just said, yes, I'm with him, and you stood up for me. In fact, Peter said he wasn't going to do that. Christ called it. He said, you are going to deny me. Peter said, no way. And Christ comes back and sees Peter face to face. Does he say that to him? No. He simply asks Peter, and it's no coincidence, three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter knew when he was looking into the face of God, knowing very well that Christ knew his heart better than he did, he said, yes. Lord, he said, I love you. Christ simply said to him at that point, feed my sheep. 
Peter had another major, major opportunity laid before him when Christ said, feed my sheep. In fact, the Great Commission, Christ asks his, he tells his disciples to go out to all the ends of Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the world and go spread the good word of Christ. And Peter, as you will see if you read through the book of Acts, his what-ifs, they went from self-serving to God-serving. His what-ifs were no longer, because the same people who persecuted Christ were still there. And his what-ifs turned from, what if they kill me? What if they mock me? What if they throw me in jail? What if all these people don't hear what I have to say? And you talk about growth. You read through the book of Acts, and that was the beginning of the church. But they say they all got filled up by the Holy Ghost. And he went on preaching hard. And he would have more tests before him. In fact, there's one worth looking at. I know we're seeing flipping through a lot of Scripture, but go to Acts chapter 2 this morning. In the face of the mockers, this is on the day of Pentecost, who are basically making fun of these guys, saying, what are you, drunk? In verse 13, they say, these men are full of new wine. Peter was facing the test right there, kind of like he was in the house of the high priest. He could have sat there and not put himself on the line and just stayed kind of quiet and say, yeah, I hear what you're saying, and not taking any kind of risk, or he could have stood up. And that's exactly what he did. Verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. He's saying, listen to me. And he goes on preaching just as Christ had asked him. You pick it up in verse 21, and he said, It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that is not growth, I do not know what growth is. So how do we apply Peter's what ifs and Peter's story to us? How do we get past our own words? I think we have to look back to the first thing that Samuel said. I mean, I think the obvious answer is faith, which is absolutely true. It requires faith to willingly put ourselves into an uncomfortable position for God, knowing that you might be in some pain now, but it's going to be worth it in the end. But even before faith, I think we need to listen to what Samuel, the same thing Samuel told the children of Israel. He said, hey, get your hearts right. Soften your hearts. A hardened heart is only going to lead to self-serving decisions that are based on self-serving motives and pride. But a tender heart is going to help you get right with God. And that's when your faith is going to start growing. Thank God. Paul really summed up this morning's message, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. He's at the end of his life and he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept my faith. I think that our prayers this morning should be that one day we too can say that, hey, for all these years, we fought the good fight. We kept the faith. Let's bow our heads in prayer.
Lord God, we thank You for meeting with us this morning. We thank You for the fellowship. We thank You for this little chapel, Lord. We thank You for answered prayers. Lord, our prayer this week is that You help us get past our fears and anxieties of taking the next step. Lord, that You would meet with us and comfort us no matter what it is we're going through. And no matter whether we're in the midst of a crisis or things are going great, Lord, that it's You we're either seeking, seeking help from or thanking. Lord, again, we thank You for this morning. Thank You for everybody that showed up. Lord, pray that You keep them safe and sound and bring every, each and one of them right back here next week, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.